It was 2014 in my apartment, my low-income, sketchy apartment. At 7 a.m., I remember sitting at my little dining room table and my eyes were filled with tears. They were filled with tears because in in a moment, I encountered the living God. In my kitchen, no music, no special lighting, just me, my Bible, and Jesus. I was reading the book of Thessalonians, and um, this, this memory stands out to me because this was the first time that I had experienced Jesus in the everyday. Keep in mind that I was a senior in Bible college. Like, I knew the stuff. I read, read the books. I took the classes. But this was one of the very first moments I remember encountering Jesus in the everyday. Why do I say the everyday? Um, it's not because I had never encountered Jesus. Don't like, I, I felt like I had, I had felt the Holy Spirit uh, on the mountaintop at camp. I'd seen God move at camp when I, was in high, when I was in middle school. Starting in middle school at a young age, I felt like God met me at camp. Uh, continuing into high school, uh, I met him at college retreats. I met him in college chapels. But I had never encountered him that powerfully in the dining room. It was this, this amazing moment where I realized that the God of the mountaintops was, was available to me in the everyday mundane. And that is really the heart behind this series. We've been talking about this uh, idea of taking camp home. And what I want for you is the same thing that I uh, received my senior year in college. I want for you to experience the living God in the everyday mundane. Uh, and, and Nick's been talking about this the last two weeks. That's uh, been his, his whole heartbeat. Uh, the, first, the first week he talked about uh, keeping our focus on the one thing, okay? So he broke it down like this. There's a couple things that we did at camp. Um, at camp, there was no screens. People, people were more present. You were more present to those around you. People were present to you. Frequent extended worship opportunities to give and receive prayer. There was time in scripture, meaningful conversations with community, fun experiences with community, three meals a day in community, daily quiet time, and we engaged in spiritual conversations. Nick talked about how all of these things point us to the one thing, Jesus Christ. And then last week, he talked about all of these things that point us to the one thing that have to do with, uh, that are community-based. So last week, Nick talked about some of these themes doing life in community, all pointed towards the one thing, Jesus Christ. And today I want to discuss the rest, okay? The rest. So Nick kind of covered community last week. This week, I want to cover the rest of the things on that list. And um, these are things like no screens, uh, worship, prayer, scripture, quiet time. These are things that Christians often, these are things that we either uh, I talked about this at the beginning of summer. There's certain things that we omit as from our life and things that we can kind of commit to our lives, okay? And these are some of the things that we, at camp, we omitted from our lives, uh, really just one, the screens. And the rest were kind of some things that we kind of brought into our lives. And Christians often call these things that we omit from our lives and these things that we commit to our lives the spiritual disciplines. Have you guys heard that word, spiritual disciplines? Um, so... Uh, 
what makes something a spiritual discipline? It's this. Uh, a spiritual discipline is any activity. And so not only spiritual disciplines, uh, maybe you've heard them called spiritual practices. Anyone heard that, heard that language before? That's what we're talking about tonight. And what is it anyway? Spiritual discipline is this. Any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. Any activity that does that. And so that can include community. Nick actually talked about one of the spiritual disciplines and it's being in community. That's one of the things that can help us gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled. Uh, So it's the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said, right? John Ortberg, he puts it like this. Following Jesus simply means learning from him how to arrange my life around activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. Arranging your life around activities to enable you to live in the fruit of the Spirit. And so um, I'll be honest, when it comes to the spiritual practices or the spiritual disciplines, there is some disciplining and some practicing to be done. It's arranging your life, your schedule in a way that helps you encounter the person of Jesus, that helps you love others better, Um, In scripture, it backs this idea of training and disciplining ourselves in the way of godliness. Check out 2 Timothy 2.5. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Um, There's actually more to that verse. He says to train in godliness. It must be verse 3, or sorry, verse 6. He says to, to train ourselves in godliness here, I have, the, I have the whole verse of 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. This is, this is good. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is talking about disciplining the flesh, right? That's, those are the things that I talk about omitting from your life. There's things that you're taking out. You're kind of disciplining the flesh. There's things that you're taking on that maybe you don't want to take on because it's for your good and for your benefit. Uh, we train our body to love what God loves. We make it... I, I love this. Someone put it like this for me once, and it was really helpful. We, we want to make it hard for sin to call your name and easy for God to call your name. We want to make it hard to respond to sin and easy to respond to God. We want to rearrange our life for the sake of righteousness. The goal is through the spiritual disciplines, through the strict training, that actually at some point in your life, maybe right now it's easier to say yes to sin, but we want to arrange our lives in such a way that it's actually more inconvenient to say yes to sin. And it's convenient to say yes to God. Our desires even change. Our, the way our lives are, that it's like, man, what was once sin was really easy for me to do in one time, but now, like, it seems crazy for me to pursue that. That's the goal here. Uh, can you imagine? It's kind of like this. Someone, uh, someone like giving up their baseball career and and being like, you know, I thought I was going to go big in baseball. I'm going to go ahead and, and give it up. I'm never going to go uh, D1. I'm never going to make it into a farm league, whatever. I'm going to give it up. Uh, and then they just kind of go on with their life. They get out of shape. And then one day 
they are found by a scout. Someone has been watching their high school highlight reel and they go, hey, I think this guy's given up baseball, but I think he could crush it in the pros. And so they call them up and they say, I want you to be a pro. Can you imagine, right? It talks about these athletes that go into strict training. Can you imagine how this baseball player, the training that they would go through, they'd have to like burn off all their uh, like lazy weight. They'd, They'd have to watch what they're eating. They would be rearranging their life for a professional baseball career. And that's the idea here. Like training for physical uh, training for the, the physical is one thing, but we see in scripture that we ought to be training for the spiritual. Uh, and that's why Paul even discusses it as such, training, rearranging our lives for the spiritual. Uh, Matthew eleven thirty. this is a favorite verse, and it should be. People love this verse. Um, Nick's preached on it often. This should be a favorite. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. From me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. People love the the, the part of this verse that talks about rest. They love the parts of this verse that talks about God being gentle, Jesus being gentle and humble in heart, and rest for our souls as as they should. Because I do believe that it's when we're, we're working for God and living with God that our souls are at rest, um, that we... We, are, we become like not weary and burdened. But something that people tend to forget about this verse is that there is still a task. There's still a task. There's still a yoke, right? You're still plowing the field in this illustration. It's not like, come to me all who are weary and chill. Does that make sense? There's still work to be done. And although it's soul-fulfilling work, there still is work. Um, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, there's this word again, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so we see in these verses, there is benefit in discipline. There is benefit in training. But I want to clarify a couple things. The first one is the spiritual disciplines are not a marker of how spiritual you are. Does that make sense? Spiritual disciplines are not a marker of how spiritual you actually are. Go ahead and right off the bat, just free yourself from the need to impress God or others. The true indicator of your spirituality is this, how much do you love God and how much do you love people? Spiritual disciplines or practices uh, are to life what practice is to a game. Once the game starts, basketball players get no bonus points based on the free throws that they shot in practice. So if you're putting in these spiritual reps and it's making you feel holy, um, if it's making you feel really good about yourself, they, they may actually be anti-spiritual disciplines. If it's causing pride in you, it would, you would be better off not doing them. Isn't that crazy that you could be like fasting and reading scripture and praying and looking down on others and feeling great about yourself and thinking you've worked your way to God? You're digressing, right? And so you can be doing the practices without actually becoming more spiritual. But if the practices are causing you to fall 
in love with Jesus Christ and causing you to, to humble yourself and to love others, if they're causing you to grow in patience, then they are doing the work that they're meant to do. Here's the second thing I want to clear up. Spiritual disciplines uh, don't have to be miserable. This is kind of news for some people, and it was news for me. Because why? A lot of the time when we're disciplining ourselves or we're practicing something, it is actually miserable at times. Uh, but if we are training for joy and peace and love, shouldn't the way we practice cause joy, peace, and love in our life? Does that make sense? If the very things that we're training for is the fruit of the Spirit, shouldn't some peace and love and joy be part of the experience? Um, This was true at camp, right? This was so true at camp. Anyone feel like, man, it was just super hard work to worship together? Like so 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 difficult. Only like for my crew, because they always had their arms around each other and it was actually difficult for me to stand. I'm like, ugh. But maybe, maybe like, did anyone like feel like at camp that the morning quiet time just felt like a grind? You know, that morning quiet time, really just a grind for me, super difficult. Or receiving prayer, like how exhausting and miserable. I can't stand to receive prayer, right? That's not the way we feel. Think of it like this. Anyone ever been in a pie-eating contest? Did you enter strict training for your pie-eating contest? Just imagine how awesome training for a pie-eating contest would be. The thing you're training for uh, has implications for how you train. If you're training for a pie-eating contest, I would be crushing like pumpkin pie on Monday, Marionberry on Tuesday, whatever on Wednesday, right? You're like training. It's sick. That would be legit. Um, And so as we train in spiritual practices, sometimes they should be downright enjoyable. Like sometimes the spiritual practices should just be a blast. Uh, And some of you, you need to reimagine the spiritual disciplines. Um, Part of the reason that they were amazing at camp was because there was planning and and intentionality behind them. There There was a time, there was a place, and there was a direction. Some of you guys just thought we got to camp and, and totally were winging it. Not, not even true, right? We, I want to encourage you, get creative with, the, with the, the disciplines. Like, what is the time? What's the place? In what direction would you like to go? What are some ways that you could take your spiritual disciplines? Uh, you could totally kind of curate this little moment for yourself in your day, right? Uh, for instance, you could say like, Any music people in the room? Less than I would imagine. Less than I would imagine. Some music people in the room? Imagine this. What if, on like say on Mondays, you decide you're going to listen to a brand new worship song that you've never heard before, and you're going to turn it into a prayer to God that morning. You're going to listen to it. You're going to take down themes, and then you're just going to pray that worship song to God. You can get creative. Or let's say you wake up and you watch the sunset and you just like spend some time where you wake up and you watch the sunrise. Some of you guys have been sleeping in late this summer. That's why I said that. Some of you have been sleeping in real late this summer. But say, for instance, you wake up and you watch the sunrise or you stay up late and you watch the sunset, whatever it is, whatever floats your boat, and you're just in God's creation and you're watching like the sun do what it does, and you just offer up your anxieties to God. Um, maybe, you, maybe you could even bring verses about anxiety and just 
pray them as you look at God's creation. You could, you could set up a weekly coffee date with God and where you go and buy like your favorite coffee drink and you just ask him for advice about your big life decisions. You could, you could read on like, you could just mix it up. Sometimes we get so like mon- mundane in the way that we do these things. You could like, you could pray on Tuesdays. You could fast on Wednesdays. You could sing a worship song on Thursday, read a devotional Friday, hang with the bros on Saturday. Like you could mix it up, right? Make it yours, make it enjoyable. Uh, I'm always hoping and praying for my son, Olin. He's two years old. I'm always praying that, that I don't make Jesus like the most boring thing ever, right? How do we take Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the creator of the universe and make him boring? Why would we make these things a chore? How could I make Jesus like miserable, right? There's ways. I hope that that doesn't happen for my son. There, there are also like outside of your own creativity, there are just loads and loads of resources and opportunities out there for you. There are other people that have curated experiences for you to encounter God. There's special Bibles. Even I saw a student leader, Emery, wherever she's at, special Bible with the coloring pages inserted. Let's go. There's online sermons. There's a Cedar Mill Youth Podcast. It's a killer resource. I'm just kidding. There's apps. There's devotions. There's reading plans. A couple of my favorites, uh, D.A. Carson, he writes this, this devotional called Love the Love of God. I think it's just Love of God. He has book one, two, and three, and it's a, it's a Bible in a year reading plan. And it takes, it, you read through four chapters of, of different uh, parts of the Bible, one chapter a piece. And then one, for each day, he gives you a little breakdown devotional just for one of them. And then the next year, he switches it up and does the devotional for another verse. And I don't know why he did three. I wish he did four. I guess he just leaves some, I don't know. There's like the Daily Office by Pete Schizero. Um, This is like three prayers a day, morning, midday, and evening. And it's just two to five minute prayers. You could just take, you could just take six minutes of your day and pray three times a day. And he'll even lead you through it. How amazing is that? That someone has taken their time to curate an experience like that. Um, There's the, uh, Solo by Eugene Peterson, a great, uh, a great devotional. Or Lectio 365 is uh, a great prayer app. Sometimes I just let, those, let that app like, help me pray myself to sleep. They've got great background music. They've got amazing thoughts. They help you unpack your day. Highly recommend. The spiritual disciplines can be enjoyable. This is the, this is the whole point. They can and should oftentimes be enjoyable Um, they're just the best. And here's the third thing I want to clarify. Spiritual disciplines, they can't save you. Um, It's not about trying to be good enough. It's not about trying to get extra credit with God or demonstrate just how deeply committed you are. Romans um, 5.1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This word justified can be defined as declared in the right, even though we were wrong, right? God created us to be with him, but we sinned, we rebelled against him. It broke uh, our relationship with him. There was a, a huge, um, there's a huge just expanse between us and him, and we could never do anything to earn our way back. 
And so he sent his son Jesus to die and pay the penalty for us so that we can be back in relationship with God, so that we can experience life now and and at its best and then live in eternal relationship with him. And it was Jesus' death, not anything we could do. We could never cross that gap on our own. And this word justified, declared in the right, through Jesus' blood, we've been actually declared not guilty. And we can't do anything. We can't like do enough spiritual disciplines to declare ourselves not guilty. Jesus had to die for it. God didn't turn a blind eye to our sin. He took our sin very serious. He sent his son to die. And it's God's grace that gives us the opportunity then to be transformed. God's grace. A life after Christ really, truly does lead to the best life. You all saw it at camp. You, we all got a glimpse, those of you that were able to go, we got a glimpse of the power of routine, a routine set to following Jesus. We saw what it looked like to build our schedule on loving God and loving others. And uh, I just want to take a moment to look at what a life built on God looks like. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, here's this language about practice again, He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. There's John 3.17, um, after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he says, uh, says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. James 1, 22 through 25 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And these verses, they're pretty straightforward. If you love God, if you love others, you will be blessed. If you obey God, you will be blessed. And note, um, it's not, if you do the spiritual disciplines, you'll be blessed. It is, If you obey Jesus' commands, you'll be blessed. So here's the thing. Although the spiritual disciplines do not directly result in blessing, they do indirectly result in blessing. Does that make sense? If you do what Jesus says, if you love God, if you love others, you'll be blessed. The spiritual disciplines aid us in the doing what God says and the loving God and loving others. So doing the spiritual disciplines blesses you indirectly. Does that make sense, that, clarif- that small clarification? So here's the, I think that this is a, a better way to, to put it. Definition of a disciplined person could be described as this. Someone who can do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right spirit. This is what the spiritual disciplines do for us. They help us to do what God's called us to do at the right time, in the right way, and with the right spirit. We must 
train ourselves for it. We must practice for, our, for it. We must discipline ourselves for it. And so let's create opportunities this fall to fall more in love with Jesus. Right? To fall. Yeah, let's fall. The spiritual disciplines give us opportunity to fall more in love with Jesus, to love others more sacrificially, and to obey God more readily. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to repair the broken relationship that, that we, to repair the broken um, relationship that we caused, Lord. You sent your son, Jesus. You took our sins so seriously that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die for us. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be transformed into the kind of people who can do the right thing in the right time with the right spirit. God, I pray that we would be more like your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that this fall, that the spiritual disciplines, God, would not be a burden or a chore, God, but instead um, a joy. I pray, God, that we would take our spiritual training seriously, God, more seriously than physical training, God, not because it saves us, but because it enables us to be transformed. God, thank you for the grace and the opportunity to be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus. Help us to, to, to love you more, God, where, where like our love falls short. God, would you, would you help shore it up? Would you help us to love you more? God, when, when, um, when we find ourselves not wanting to train in godliness, would you remind us of what's on offer, a relationship with you, loving others, obeying you, God, living a blessed life. Would you help us to see, um, see what lies ahead? Would you help us to run the race with endurance, God? We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.